Amen. We're there in Luke chapter number 9 this morning, and of course we are continuing in our series called Journey with Jesus, and we are on a journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are studying the Gospel of Luke. We're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we are studying the life of Christ, of course, and this is one of the most comprehensive uh, studies on the life of Christ that you can find in Scripture as we go through uh, the Gospel of Luke. And uh, today, between this morning's sermon and tonight's sermon, we're going to finish Luke chapter 9. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at the passage of Scripture that we read already, Luke nine forty six through 56. And tonight, we're going to go through Luke nine fifty seven through uh, 62. And it's interesting because as we finish up Luke chapter 9, you'll find that in verses 46 through 56, there are three arguments that we're going to look at this morning. And in Luke 57, 9, 57 through 62, there are three conversations that we're going to look at tonight. And uh, this morning, as we go into this passage, I want you to notice that there is a theme uh, in these uh, 10 verses, 11 verses or so, uh, that you'll find with the disciples. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 46, notice what the Bible says, then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest. Here in Luke 9, the word reasoning is used. We're going to go to Mark later here in a little bit, and you'll notice that the word uh, disputed or disputation is used. And I want you to notice that in verse uh, 46 there, we see that the disciples are arguing, and they're really arguing amongst themselves. There arose a reasoning amongst them, which of them should be the greatest. But if you look down at verse 49, you'll see that then there is another argument between the disciples and another group. In verse 49, the Bible says, And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. So in verse 46 uh, through, uh, through uh, 48 there, we see that the disciples are arguing and fighting amongst themselves. In verse 49, we see that they are fighting with others. They're really, in verses 46 through 48, they're fighting amongst themselves with their fellow believers. In verses 49 through 50, they're fighting with other believers. And then you'll notice in verses 51 through 56, they're uh, fighting with unbelievers. Notice just quickly there by way of introduction, verse 54, notice the Bible says, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, would thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? So I want you to notice that there's a, a theme in verses 46 through 56, and it's this theme of the disciples, and they are uh, not getting along really with anybody. They are uh, having these three different scenarios that we'll see this morning where they are fighting, they're contentious, they're, they're, they're not getting along uh, with anyone. Now, keep your place there in Luke. That's obviously our text for this morning. But go with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, just real quickly by way of introduction. In Luke, you have John, Acts, Romans, then 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 16. And you know, sometimes uh, you'll, you'll notice that kids, if you have children, uh, they can be like this, where you'll have a kid, my wife and I will say, you know, so-and-so is just not having a good day. And it's this, it's this thing where everyone they get around, they're fighting with, you know? It's like they're fighting with this sibling, they're fighting with that sibling. Every, if, if you have children, you'll, you'll probably have experienced this where you have one kid come in to your room or something and say, you know, and they'll name a sibling. So-and-so pulled my hair. And then a minute later, another child will come in and name the same child. So-and-so kicked me. And then a minute later, another child will come in and name the same kid. So-and-so, you know, uh, slapped me or something. And it's like, okay, you're not having a good day. You know, it's everyone you're getting around, you're, you're, you're fighting with. And I'm not talking about one kid. I mean, kids will just kind of go like this. And it seems like that's what's happening with the disciples in this passage. They're just not having a good day. They're fighting amongst themselves. They're fighting with other believers. They're fighting with unbelievers. They're being contentious. When, when I was growing up, I don't know if this is the case anymore, but uh, you would get, in the lower grades, you would get a report card. And one of the things that you would be uh, graded on or that your teacher would uh, comment on is whether you had uh, the ability to play well with others. And sometimes, I know for many of you, uh, your, your report cards will say, does not play well with others. And uh, that's what's going on with the disciples. They're just not 
getting along. They're not playing well with others. Notice there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 16. 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen, 16, the Bible says this, but if any man, notice these words, seem to be contentious. The word contentious means that they're, uh, they, they like to fight. They're causing arguments. They're causing problems. They're likely to get into arguments. Notice what Paul says. He says, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Paul said, look, we as Bible-believing Christians should not be contentious. We should not be people who are just causing fights or causing problems, who are trying to pick arguments with people. We should be the type of people that are trying to get along. Now, obviously, from time to time, we're going to have to contend. The Bible says that we should earnestly contend for the faith. So there are times where we have to stand up, we have to fight, we have to uh, stand up for what's right, of course. But there's a difference between being contentious and contending for the faith. There's a difference between being someone who's who's just likes to argue and fight and cause problems and debate versus someone who's standing up and earnestly contending for the faith. And here Paul tells us, look, if any man seemed to be contentious, you didn't get that from Christ. You didn't get that from the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ye have not so learned Christ. He says, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Go back to Luke chapter 9. So I want to speak to you this morning on this subject of not playing well with others, uh, not getting along sometimes. And here we see the disciples that they're just not having a good day. You know, we obviously believe in the, in, the, in the biblical way of disciplining children, and I don't believe that timeouts are a biblical way of disciplining children. The Bible does not teach that. I'm not preaching on, on the home this morning, but sometimes you do have to take a kid and tell them, you need to just sit down for a while. You know, because you're just everyone that you come across, you're just hitting them, you're fighting them, you're arguing with them, you know, and the disciples, that's the issue they're having. And you'll notice that the Lord Jesus Christ and, the, and Luke, of course, gives us this, this, these stories back to back to emphasize the fact that they're just not getting along. And we see the Lord Jesus Christ dealing with this and trying to help these individuals. So if you're taking notes this morning, you can write these points out. Number one, we see the disciples fighting amongst themselves. We see the disciples fighting amongst themselves. And what that means is that they're fighting with their fellow believers. They're fighting with their, uh, their fellow brothers in Christ. And you say, what is the reason for that? Well, notice that it's a product of pride. Luke 9 and verse 46. Notice what they're arguing about. Then arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest. They're talking along the way, and of course we know from the context that Jesus is getting ready to go to Jerusalem in order to be able to die on the cross. He's making his way there, and as they're going there to, uh, to, to really fulfill the purpose of Christ coming to this earth, they're reasoning amongst themselves, they're debating amongst themselves which of them should be the greatest. You're there in Luke 9. Go back to Mark, if you would. Mark chapter 9. You just go back one book. Mark 9, you'll find a parallel passage of the same story. Mark 9 and verse 33. Mark 9, 33. Notice what the Bible says. And he, this is Jesus, came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, because they're going by the way, and there arose a reasoning, Luke tells us, among them, which of them should be the greatest. Now they get to Capernaum, and of course, Jesus is hearing this. He's overhearing this. They're not involving Jesus in this argument, of course. They're arguing amongst themselves. The Bible tells us in Mark 9.33, and he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that ye disputed amongst yourselves, by the way? Notice that Jesus used the word disputed. The word disputed or dispute means argue or argument uh, uh, to debate about. And Jesus asked the disciples, he said, what was, I heard you guys talking. What was it that ye disputed among yourselves, by the way? Look at verse 34. And they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed they had argued, they had debated amongst themselves. Notice, who should be the greatest? So these guys are literally walking down the road, and they're having an argument about, no, no, I, when we get to heaven, I'm, I think I'm going to be the greatest. No, no, you suck. I'm going to be the greatest. You know, and they're arguing. And No, I, I read the Bible more. No, I've cast out more devils. No, I've uh, won more souls to Christ. And, and look, before you get to the, start thinking the disciples are silly, you know, get around some church people. Because this is a, you, this is a common thing 
that we often argue as a result of the product of pride. See, it is human nature to want to promote yourself. It's human nature. Look, and look, isn't it true? We all, don't we all want to be admired? Don't we all want to be acknowledged? Don't we all want to be appreciated? This is something that is in our human nature and it's something that we need to understand that our human nature is to want to promote ourselves. Go to 3 John, if you would. It's a a very small book towards the end of the New Testament. If you start at the book of Revelation and go backwards, you have the book of Jude, which is one chapter. Then you have the book of 3 John, which is one chapter, 3 John. And uh, while you go there, let me just say this. This is why the Bible often cautions us about letting our pride get out of control. The Bible says, let another man praise thee and not thine own lips. The Bible says, let not him, this is one of my favorite quotes, because look, we like to argue, right, about how we're the best, how we have all the ideas, we've got it all figured out, you know, but be careful about trying to tell everybody how, no, I'm going to be the greatest. You're not, you're not that great. I'm the better X, Y, and Z, fill in the blank. I'm the better soul winner. I'm the better uh, uh, Christian. I'm the better this. I'm the better that. You know, the Bible says, let another man praise thee and not thine own lips. And one of my favorite quotes in the entire Bible is, is actually, one day I'm going to preach a whole sermon just out of this one quote. It's, it's actually given by a guy that's not that great, but the quote is, 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 I love the quote, and it's this, let not him that put it on his harness, boast himself as he that putteth it off. And, and, and you say, what, is that? what does that mean? Well, the context is about people going to war. And he says, look, be careful about boasting while you're putting on your harness, while you're putting the harness on the horse. You have not yet gotten on the horse. You've not yet ridden into battle. You've not yet fought the battle. Be careful about how much you boast going into battle. He said, let not him that putteth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. He said, now look, once you've won the battle, once you've finished your race, once you've won the course, then yeah, you let us know how great you are. Let us know how, how, how you had all the, the right thoughts and ideas. But when you're going into, that's why I'm always very careful. I I try to preach the word of God to you, but you know, and and tell you, hey, this is what the Bible says for your marriage. This is what the Bible says about raising your children. This is what the Bible says about your finances. This is what the Bible says about, uh, about your health. I try to tell you authoritatively what the Bible says, but I try to be very careful about, you know, we're just raising the best children in this church. You say, why? Why don't you say that? Here's well, one reason is because it's prideful to say that. Another reason is because, you know what? Let him that putteth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth, be careful about boasting himself as he that putteth on. We're still raising our children, you know? And, and we're still having a marriage and we're still living the Christian life. But these guys, they're acting as though they've already came to the end. They're like, no, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's a done deal. When we get to heaven, I'm going to get the most rewards. When we get to heaven, I'm going to be the greatest. And it's human nature to want to promote yourself. But here's what you need to understand. Self-promotion often hurts others. Because the truth is this, that we often promote ourselves at the expense of others. 3 John 1, look at verse 9. Notice what John wrote. He said, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, that's the pride, notice, receiveth us not. See, Diotrephes can't promote himself and just promote himself. No, he has, to, he has to hurt John in the process of promoting himself. Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. So we see that this argument of the disciples amongst themselves, it's a product of pride. We often, as human beings, want to promote ourselves, and, and our promotion of selves will often hurt others in the process. Go back to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. While you turn there, let me just read this verse, Proverbs 13.10. Proverbs 13.10 says this, Only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. Look, mark it down. Anytime that we engage in any sort of contention, anytime we engage in any sort of argument, anytime we engage in any sort of debate, just mark it down, pride is involved. One or two or all members involved are allowing pride to enter into them. Because the Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. 
So look, whenever, if you're arguing with your spouse, just realize pride is playing a role. You're arguing with your, uh, with your kids, pride is, uh, is, is playing a role. You're, you're arguing with your coworkers, you're arguing with your boss, you're arguing with your pastor, you're arguing with your neighbors, you're arguing with fellow church members, whatever it is, just realize whenever we are engaged in, 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 in contention, pride is present. Now, maybe it's just pride in one individual. Usually it's pride in both individuals because the Bible says only by pride cometh contention. So we see that the disciples, they're fighting amongst themselves with these fellow believers, and it's a product of pride. It's, it's human nature to promote the, yourself, and they're promoting themselves. They're disputing among the way, uh, arguing about who should be the greatest. Now, why don't you notice Jesus responds to this? He, he sees their product of pride, and Jesus responds with an example of humility. Notice Luke 9 and verse 47. And Jesus, perceiving the thoughts of their hearts. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is not just a man? He is God in the flesh. He asked the question, but he doesn't need to ask the question. He already knows what they were arguing about. Jesus, you know, whenever he asks, he already knows the answer before he asks the question. And Jesus, perceiving the thoughts of their hearts, notice what he does. He took a child and set him by him and said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth him that sent me. Now, I want you to notice, we're going to come back to that statement here in a minute. But I want you to notice why Jesus took a child and set him, the child, by, by him, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he takes his child because the, the disciples are fighting amongst themselves. Which should be the greatest? They're fighting about, no, I'm going to be the best. No, I'm the best. No, I'm the best. And Jesus takes this child as an example of humility, and he says, look, the Bible says he took a child and set him by him. Look at the last part of verse 8. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. See, we have this example of humility. Go, go back to Matthew chapter 18. You're there in Luke, just go backwards, Mark, and then Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, we have the parallel passage, Matthew 18 and verse 44. Notice what he says in Matthew 18, verse 4. The Bible says, whosoever, this is Jesus again, taking a little child and setting them in front of the disciples who are arguing because of pride. And here's what Jesus says, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And you say, what is it that Jesus is teaching with this example of humbling yourself as a little child? I want you to notice that in Matthew 18, he emphasizes, the Bible emphasizes the fact that it's a little child. You know, it's not a teenager, all right? <laughs> you know, it, it's a little child. And I believe that he's probably referring to, to like a toddler, a three-year-old, a four-year-old. And he's using this child as an example because the truth is this about little children, we're talking about two-year-olds and three-year-olds and four-year-olds, don't they just naturally submit themselves? And you say, you don't know my two-year-old. I'm not saying that they're not well-behaved. You know, obviously kids need to be spanked and all that. But what I'm saying is children have no problem, you know, asking you to hold them, asking you to get something for them, asking or demanding that you do something for them. Why? Because they, they have no problem with the idea that they are helpless and that they need help. And that they can't do it on their own. And in fact, as your children get older, sometimes what you need to do is start teaching your children, hey, you're not a baby. You can do this yourself. You don't need somebody to just do everything for you. You need to start taking some responsibility. You know, you're, you're, you're 16 years old, all right? You don't need me to pour your bowl of cereal. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, at some point, you got to start telling your kids, hey, you're not a baby. But the thing is, when they're babies, when they're babies, they're comfortable with the idea that I'm weak. I need help, and I need you to help me. And Jesus is using that as an example because the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus says, you know what? It'd be better off if you were more like this little child who doesn't want to argue about how strong they are, doesn't want to argue, is very aware about the fact that they are the least and they need help. You say, what is the message that Jesus is teaching? Here's what he's telling his disciples, and here's what Luke is telling all of us. Is that we should not put ourselves at the top. We should put ourselves at the bottom. We should not put ourselves as first. We should put ourselves as last. We should not argue about who's the greatest, but we should all be running to be the least. He's teaching us that, look, 
It's human nature, the product of pride, to have contention amongst us. But just know, whenever there's contention, it's pride. It's you or somebody you're arguing with putting themselves first, putting themselves on top, arguing the fact that they are the greatest. But Jesus says, why don't you take the example of a little child? For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. Go to Philippians, if you would, Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul kind of teases this out in Philippians 2. I'd like you to see it, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. You're there in Luke, you can go past John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. I remember years ago when uh, our missionary, Brother Stuckey, our evangelist to the Philippines, he was on staff here, and uh, he would often preach for me if I was out of town or something like that. I remember he, he, he made the statement, I, I, at least once, I think he made it several times, but he said, Philippians 2.3 is the most quoted verse from the pulpit of Verity Baptist Church. And it's a, a, a verse that I would just often be quoting and, and going back to, and I want you to see it today, uh, because it, it's, it's really about life. It's about our life and our relationship with others. Philippians 2.3, notice what Paul said. He said, let nothing be done through strife. What strife? Contention. Arguments. Through not getting along. Or, notice the connection, vainglory. What's vainglory? Pride. Why does Paul connect strife and vainglory? Here's why. Because by pride cometh contention. Because all, only by pride cometh contention, the Bible says. Because often when we are fighting and arguing and debating, it's a result of our pride. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Here's what he says. He said, instead of having strife and vainglory, here's what you should have. He says, but in lowliness of mind. What does that mean? It's referring to humility. Lowliness of mind. Not putting yourself first, but putting yourself last. Not putting yourself as the greatest, but putting yourself as the least. Not putting yourself at the top, but putting yourself at the bottom. He says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other, notice, better than themselves. That's the example of humility. The example of humility. Go back to Luke chapter 9. So we see the disciples fighting among themselves. It's a product of pride. We see the product of pride. They're promoting themselves. Who should be the greatest? And as a result, they're hurting each other because often when we promote ourselves, we hurt others. Then we see the example of humility. And the example of humility is this little child who is very, uh, who is very comfortable with the re- realization that they're not the first. They're not the greatest. They're not the smartest. They're not the, the strongest. They don't have it all put together. And Jesus says, look, we should be like this child. Paul said, uh, let nothing be done to strive for vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better themselves. We should not be putting, we should not be fighting to put ourselves at the top. If anything, we should be fighting to put ourselves at the bottom. We should not be fighting to put ourselves as first. We should be fighting to put ourselves as last. We should not be fighting to put ourselves as the greatest. We should be fighting to put ourselves as the least. And let me tell you something. Your marriage will revolutionize. Your child, uh, your relationship with your adult children will revolutionize. Your relationship with any other human being in this world will revolutionize when you've got two human beings that are not fighting and racing and running to the front of the line, but when they're fighting and racing to the back of the line. And they're fighting and racing to say, no, let me esteem you better than myself. Let me, in love, prefer you over myself. Let me, you go first. Let me put you first. If, if one of us has to lose in this, in, this, in, in this situation, I want you to win. And, and, and I want to, because I want to esteem myself. I want, I want to esteem other better than myself. So we see the product of pride. We see the example of humility. But then I want you to notice that Jesus, it, it, it's so interesting to me. We see the product of pride and the example of humility, but then we see that Jesus gives us the secret to greatness, which is interesting to me because that's what they're arguing about. They're disputing among the way which should be the greatest. And they're getting it all wrong. And Jesus says, you know what? Let me tell you something. You want to figure out, you want to know the secret to greatness? You want to know the secret to success? You want to know the secret to actually being the greatest? Look down, Luke 9, 48. And said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. In that statement, in those two statements, you find the secret to greatness. You say, I don't get it. Go to Matthew 25. 
If you would, you're there in Luke, go past Mark into the book of Matthew. Matthew 25. See, they're arguing about who should be the greatest. And the Bible tells us he took a little child, he took a child and set them amongst, among them, took a child and set him by him. And he taught them, for he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. He said, he gives them this child as an example of, of humility. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But then he also, while giving them that example, he gives them the secret to greatness. He says, be mindful of how you treat this child. Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. You say, I don't understand. Well, Maybe you'll understand once we read Matthew 25. In Matthew 25 and verse 35, Jesus is giving a different parable at a different time, but teaching the same principle. Matthew 25, verse 35. Notice what he says. He says, for I, and this is the Lord Jesus Christ giving a parable, and in this parable, the king is speaking, um, but it's, it's Jesus. Jesus is the king, if you don't know that. He says, for I was hungered, and you gave me meat. He said, I was hungry, and you gave me food. The word meat means food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger. He said, you didn't know me, and you took me in. Naked, he's saying, I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. He's commending these people. He's saying, look, I, thank you, because when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When, when, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, ye uh, came unto me. In verse 37, then shall the righteous answer him, saying, they're confused, the righteous that he's referring to. They're confused. They said, Lord... When saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when, was, uh, when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? They said, we're confused. When were you naked and we gave you clothes? When were you in prison and we visited you in prison? When, when did we do all these things? Notice verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the, don't miss the word, least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. You know what the secret of greatness is? The secret of greatness is how you treat others. Amen. I read recently in a book uh, this quote, I, 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 I love it. It says this, people will not remember what you said and they will not remember what you did but they will remember how you made them feel. And the secret to greatness is not climbing up the corporate ladder, pulling people off as you make your uh, ascent unto greatness. No, the secret to greatness, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, is how you minister to others. Because the truth is that greatness is found in how we treat others. You say, why? Because how we treat others is a reflection. The Lord Jesus Christ takes it personally. He says, whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. He said, when you're kind to others, when you serve others, when you help others, he said, I, I take it as though you've done it to me. And look, let me tell you something. The secret to success, the secret to success, whatever area... It doesn't matter if you're a husband. It doesn't matter if you're a husband ministering to your wife, if you're a wife ministering to your children, if you're a boss ministering to your employees, if you're a pastor ministering to a church. It doesn't matter if you're a governor ministering to, to a, a, a state or a president. It doesn't matter. The secret to success is this. When we help others succeed, we succeed. When we help others get their life in order, get their act together, get things going in the right direction, the way that when we minister to others, when they're naked and we clothe them, and they're hungry and we feed them, and they're thirsty and we, and we give them drink, and we bring them in when they're strangers, and we help them out, we visit them when they're in prison, when they're sick. Hey, as we minister to others, that is the secret of greatness. Because living in this dog-eat-dog world and trying to just fight to be the greatest, that just brings contention. So we see the disciples fighting amongst themselves. They're fighting with fellow believers, with their own uh, uh, fellow brothers. It's the product of pride. It's the example of humility. And we see the secret of greatness. 
But then I want you to notice, secondly, this morning, not only do we see the disciples fighting amongst themselves, we also see the disciples fighting amongst, uh, fighting with others, other believers. Notice there in Luke 9 and verse 49. Now, we have a different story. Luke, and the Holy Spirit has done this through the writer Luke, has put these stories back to back to give us a theme of the disciples just not playing well with others. They're fighting amongst themselves. And then I want you to notice in verse 49, we begin a different story with the same theme, Luke 9, 49. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him because he followeth not with us. So now we have a different story, you know, and in and, and, and verse 49, we begin this new, uh, new idea, new story, same theme, different story. And now it's not the disciples fighting amongst themselves with their fellow believers, it's the disciples fighting other believers. Because here John says, hey, Jesus, Master, we saw one casting out devils. Remember, Jesus just gave them power to go out and cast out devils. And as they're out there casting out devils, he says, we saw one casting out devils in thy name. Somebody else is out there who's also a follower of Jesus Christ, who's also casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him. We told him, you're not allowed to do that. You've got to stop. Why? Because he followeth not with us. They said, we were out there. This would be the equivalent of us saying, hey, we were out there you know, knocking doors and soul winning, and we saw somebody else knocking doors and soul winning. And we told them to stop. Why? Because they're not in our church. Because they weren't with us. Here we have the disciples fighting not with their fellow believers, but with other believers. And look, again, we see that this is human nature. It's human nature to take the attitude that we're the only good ones. It's human nature to want to form cliques. It's human nature to want to exclude those who are not within our circle of, you know, cliques and friendships and influence. It's human nature to want to just fight with other people that are not. And it's interesting because this is highlighted in other places in Scripture. You're there in Luke chapter 9. Go to Numbers in the Old Testament, if you would. Numbers chapter 11. In the Old Testament, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 11. Do me a favor. When you get to Numbers, put a ribbon or a bookmark there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come right back. Numbers chapter 11. And look, this can happen with other believers outside of our church. And it can also happen just within a church. You know, a church itself can divide itself into these little groups and cliques. The Apostle Paul talks in, uh, in Corinth about the fact that they are carnal and they are contentious. He says, I hear that there are contentions among you. And he talks about the fact that the people have divided themselves into these groups. He says, some of our, you say, they're, they're saying that some of uh, are of Paul and some of Apollos and some of Cephas. And they're divided themselves into these groups. And it's human nature to take this attitude that says, we're the only good ones. No one else is good. Everyone else is bad. And to want to exclude those that are not in our group or in our clique or in our camp. Go to Numbers 11. Look at verse 27. Here's an, uh, another story with the same concept. Numbers eleven twenty-seven. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. So someone runs up to Moses, the prophet of God, and they're telling Moses, hey, there's these two guys, Eldad and Medad, and they're prophesying in the camp. Notice verse 28. And Joshua, the son of Nun. By the way, Joshua is a great man of God. I mean, at this point, he's, he's ministering to Moses. He's not the leader. Obviously, he's, he's the servant of Moses. But Joshua goes on to become a great man of God, a great leader. But I want you to notice, it's, just, it's human nature. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. I mean, he sounds like the disciples, right? Forbid them. Don't there. You're the prophet, Moses. You're the one that prophesies. Don't let Eldad and Medad prophesy in the camp. Forbid them. And here we have John. Keep your place there in Numbers. Go back to Luke 9. We have John saying, We saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade them, because he falleth not with us. And look, it's human nature to want to exclude those that we perceive as not being in our camp. And look, please understand something. And I don't know if you'd agree with this, but this is how I feel about it. 
and it's not because of me, but I, I believe that Verity Baptist Church is the greatest church in, on, on planet Earth. I mean, I think that this is the, the best church. Uh, I mean, literally, my wife and I set out 12 years ago to start the kind of church that we would want to be a part of. And, and I believe that, that God has brought us, obviously all of you, and God has brought us the right people and the right ingredients to just have this amazing church called uh, Verity Baptist Church. And I'm, I, am, I believe that this is the greatest church. I believe that you are the greatest people. I think you could probably have a better pastor, but, you know, I'm working on that. But, I mean, I think, I think, you guys, I think this is a great church. With that said, let me say this. I don't believe that this is the only church. And, and you say, oh, yeah, well, there's other new IP churches. No, I don't even think this is the only good church in Sacramento. Look, I believe that there are other, even good churches, even in this same city. Now, are they as cool as us? No. Are they as awesome as us? No. Are they as great as us? No. Are they wrong on some things? Absolutely. But are they believers and saved and right with God and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, they are. And I don't think that it's our job to go and just pick fights with other believers. You say, well, they're in a different camp. I understand that. But you know what? Let them do what they're going to do if they're serving God. Notice the response from Jesus, Luke 9 and verse 50. In verse 49, John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him because he followeth not with us. Verse 50, And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. Now you say, well, how do you know these guys were good guys? Well, here's how we know, and I won't take the time to, to go through this. But in another passage, Jesus states that those that are, that are not scattering with us are against us. So the fact that he says, hey, these people, they're, they're not against us, Jesus knew who they were talking about, and he said, those are good people. But they're not in our camp. They're not in our group. They're not part of the 12. They're not, they're not here. He says, forbid him not, for that, for he that is not against us is for us. And look, it is human nature to take the attitude that we're the only good ones, no one is as good as we are, and everybody else stinks, and, and want to exclude those that are not in our camp. But we just have to realize that there are other good guys out there, even in other camps. Go to Numbers 11. Remember Joshua? A young man came and told Moses, Eldad and Medad to prophesy in the camp. And Joshua responds, My Lord Moses, forbid them. Notice what Moses says to Joshua, Numbers 11, verse 29. And Moses said unto him, Moses said unto him, Notice the word, Envious thou for my sake? He said, Are you, are you envious for my sake? Moses says, would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Moses said, look, if somebody else is prophesying, he, he, you know, Moses' attitude was, we need more prophets. If somebody else is, 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 is preaching, we need more preachers. If, if they're not, not, look, if they're false prophets and they're preaching heresy and they're damning people to hell, then yes, we must earnestly contend for the faith. But if they're good guys, if they're fellow believers, if they're saved and maybe they're not right on other things, maybe they're not right on dispensationalism, maybe they're not right on the preach for rapture, maybe they're not right on, 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 on Zionism, maybe they're not right on some of the doctrines that, that we know the Bible teaches and we believe correctly, but they're saved and they're ministering and, and they're getting people saved, then you know what? God bless them. And our job is not to fight with them. Our job is not to try to stop them. Go to Philippians, if you would, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, if you're there in Luke, you have John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Do me a favor, when you get to Philippians, put, put your ribbon there or something. We're going to come back to it. I, I, I'm, I, we already went to Philippians. I'm not sure if you kept your place there. I meant to tell you to keep your place there. But go to Philippians. I was recently telling the story to, to Brother Oliver. We were traveling somewhere else. Somehow this came up, and I was telling him the story. When we first started Verity Baptist Church, when we were getting ready to start, we were, I, we were literally like maybe, my, my wife probably remember better, but we were like two, I want to say maybe even one month from launching Verity Baptist Church. And I get a call from a pastor in the area, and he's not even, he wasn't even in Sacramento, but he was just in a town close to Sacramento. And he calls me and he tells me, you've got to, you know, cancel all your plans to start the church that you're starting 
And I'm like, why? He's like, well, we got this other guy. Pretty much what he said was, we've got this other guy, and he's thinking about starting a church in Sacramento, and we like him more than you. So, you know, you can't, you can't start the church. And I remember thinking to myself, like, well, I never asked you. <laughs> um, I'm not asking permission. But, you know, their whole thing it was like, well, he's going to start in Sacramento. And I said, well, where is he going to start in Sacramento? And, um, and, and they're like, well, he's not sure. He's still praying about it, but, but you, you, need to, you need to, you know, not. And I said, well, you know what? God bless you. Uh, but we're gonna, you know, we're already in motion to start this church. We're gonna start this church. Well, the funny thing is that like eight months later, this other guy started a church. First of all, he started a church in Roseville, which is like 30 minutes from us, you know. And within six months, this independent Federal Baptist King James only soul winning church, within six to eight months, they were using the ESV, they dropped the name Baptist, and they were just, just liberal rock and roll music within like a year of starting. And I, was th- I remember thinking to myself like, that was the guy I was supposed to not start because that guy was coming, you know? And over the years, then they started a church in West Sac. And I remember getting, getting messages about that and they're like, oh, now we have a church in West Sac. And, and that church, and look, I'm not against them, but two years later, they were gone. And then they literally started another church just down the street from us. We were on Northgate, another church on Northgate. And, and you know, I'm just saying, we're here 12 years later. We're still here. We've made it through persecutions. We, we had 106 soul winners or something out yesterday. And when you say, what's your attitude towards those other churches? My attitude is, is not, I remember when we were starting, one of, the, one of the things my dad has given me a lot of wisdom through the years. I remember when we were starting Verity Baptist Church, he, he told me, because we were talking about the fact, yeah, this pastor called me, told me. We were so, and, and what my dad said to me was, never get envious and never get insecure of other churches. And he said, look, there, there's enough unsafe people out there that we couldn't start enough churches. I remember my dad telling me, like, look, McDonald's can start a restaurant selling hamburgers, and Burger King can start a restaurant down the street selling hamburgers, and Wendy's can start a restaurant down the street selling hamburgers, and they'll all sell hamburgers. And, and he was just saying, like, look, it doesn't matter if they start a church in West Sac. It doesn't matter if they start another church in, 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 in Natomas. It doesn't matter if they start. It doesn't matter. He, he said, you know, there's enough unsafe people out there to just get, get, get them safe. I remember he just was encouraged me to, to not have the same attitude as these people and to not be against those people. And you know what? Over the years, we've not had that attitude. When we've ran into people out preaching the gospel, we're always happy to do to see them. We always want to encourage them. We always want to help them. Why? Because look, envious thou, like Moses told uh, 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 Joshua, envious thou for my sake. What God that all the Lord's people were prophets. We need more preachers. We need more churches. We need more soul winners. And look, if they're maybe they're not in our camp, and maybe they don't even like us. But if they're serving God and they're getting people saved, then praise God for them. And it's human nature to want to take this attitude. And look, you say, what about the old IFB? The old IFB still doesn't like me. And I, I, you say, what, how do you feel about them? I love them. I got nothing bad to say about, you know, if they're preaching the gospel and they're, they're not heretics, praise God for them. I just think it's funny that, like, you know, all these guys, they've, 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 they've failed or not made it. And it's like, we were supposed to cancel our plans. You know, praise God we did it. Philippians 1 and verse 14. I think Philippians 1, 14, is, is, verses 14, 15, and 16 are just such an interesting passage. Because here the Apostle Paul talks about the fact that sometimes people preach the gospel just to upset us. Philippians 1, 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Here Paul is talking about the fact that he's in prison, and the fact that he's in prison has caused other people to wax more confident uh, in his bonds. Verse 15, notice what he says. Some, referring to some of the brethren in the Lord. Remember in verse 14 he said, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's talking about brethren in the Lord, saved people. That's the context. He says, some of the brethren in the Lord, Paul is talking about believers, He said, indeed, preach Christ, even of envy. We would use the word jealous, but the biblical word is envy. Even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. Paul said, you know that some people are are preaching Christ out of envy and strife? I mean, they're literally going into the ministry, Paul says, because they're envious of me, Paul said. And, And they just, they're doing it to just, you know, 
try to make a point about me. And, 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 you know, you read that and you think to yourself, you know, how could that ever be? But then, you know, after 12 years of ministry, I realized, like, there, there are independent formal Baptists who literally started a church in West Sacramento just, just so that there would be an, another independent Baptist church that's not Verity in this area. And when that one failed, you know, well, first of all, they started one in Roseville. When that one went liberal and that has now since failed, then they started one in West Sacramento. When that one failed, they literally started one down the street from us on Northgate Boulevard. You say, how's that one doing? I don't know. I, I think they're fine. I, I really, I have no idea. I don't concern myself. Well, you know, I'm, I'm interested in what we're doing here. But, you know, I just realized, hey, some people actually go into the ministry even of envy and strife and some of goodwill. Verse 16, the one, he's talking about the one that went in for envy and strife, preached Christ of contention. He's, he's preaching Christ just to fight with Paul, just to say, well, we can do it better than Paul. We don't like Paul. Not sincerely, not genuinely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Paul said, look, there are some people that are preaching Christ out of envy and strife. And he said they're literally what motivates them, what gets them out of bed in the morning is the fact that they want to add afflictions to my bonds. They're trying to start a church down the street from me and steal our church members, is what Paul's saying. He said they're, they're, trying, they're, they're not preaching out of sincerity. They're not preaching uh, because, uh, because they, they, they love the work uh, of God. He says, the one preached, verse 16, of contention, not sincerely supposing to add, uh, 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 to add to my bonds. Then in verse 17, he says, but the other of love. He said, there's other people that do preach Christ out of love, not knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. He says, what, what then, verse 18? Notwithstanding, you know, because he, he's talking about this, and Paul says, what then? You know, what, what about that? What about the fact that some people just serve God just out of envy and strife? He says, what then, notwithstanding, everywhere, whether in pretense, look at the word pretense, same word that we get our word pretend, whether they do it, Paul says, in pretense, whether they're doing, they're not genuine, they're just pretending, they're just doing it out of spite for us. He says, whether in pretense or in truth, in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice. Paul says, I don't care. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, I don't care if somebody is starting churches just to compete with me and just to show how great they are and how bad I am. He says, whether they do it in pretense or whether they do it in, in, in sincerity, he says, I therein do rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice. And you know what? If somebody starts another church in Sacramento, California, just so that there would be another independent Baptist church other than this new IFB Verity Baptist church, if that's their whole motivation to start, uh, to start a church, to literally start a church down the street from us, just so there would be another church for IFB people to go to, you say, what is your response to that? My response is, I rejoice! I rejoice that there's another place preaching the gospel. Even if they're just doing it to compete with us. Because here's the thing, that's going to get old after a while. When, you're, when, when what drives you is competing with other people, that'll get old. And eventually the ministry gets hard. Eventually the fights come. Eventually you have to, you know, the, the ministry is hard. And one of the reasons I believe that these churches have failed when they literally started just, you know, to compete with us is that you get to the point where the ministry gets difficult and you got to ask yourself this question, why am I even doing this? And if the question is, why am I even doing this? I'm just doing this to compete with that other guy, and he's like, happy we're here. Then, then they're just like, let's just quit, or let's just go ESV. Let's just become liberal. You know, over the years, my wife and I have had to ask ourselves the question, why are we doing this? And the, and the, and the answer to the question has always been because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But the, the point is this. It doesn't matter why someone else is preaching the gospel. If they're preaching the gospel... Well, they're just preaching the gospel because they're trying to compete with me. And they're trying to show that they can get more people saved than I can. You know what? That's a bad motivation. But if they're actually getting people saved, praise God. Now, should they get their hearts right? Yes, they should. Should they have a better motivation? Yes, they should. Are they going to last as a soul winner? Probably not, unless they get their heart right. But the point is this. It doesn't matter why someone's preaching the gospel. If they're preaching the gospel, Jesus says, forbid him not. For he that is not against us is for us. Moses said, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets. So we see the story where the disciples are fighting amongst themselves, fellow believers. We see this other story where they're fighting 
with other believers, other people in ministry. And then thirdly this morning, go, go back to Luke chapter 9, look at verse 51. We see a third story. Remember, these stories are all put next to each other because they have this similar theme, and the Holy Ghost is trying to teach us something. We see the disciples fighting amongst themselves with fellow believers. We see the disciples fighting with others in ministry, other believers. And then thirdly, we see the disciples fighting with those who reject Jesus. In this story, they're fighting unbelievers. Look at Luke 9 and verse 51. Now, to understand the story, I want to give you a little context here. What we find is that Jesus, remember, Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. And he's going through, from Galilee. If, if, you, if you look at one of those uh, Bible maps at the end of your Bible, you'll find that the way that the nation of Israel is separated, you have the northern part of Israel and the southern part of Israel. Judah and Jerusalem are in the southern part of Israel. The majority of Jesus' ministry has, has happened in the northern part of Israel, in the part that is known as, uh, as Samaria and Galilee. He has been preaching around the Sea of Galilee. He's been in the, in the, in the towns around Galilee. He's making his way down into Jerusalem, and as a result of that, he has to go through this region called Samaria. Notice Luke 9.51. And it came to pass, when the time was come, that he should, receive, uh, that he should be received up, he, Jesus, steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus determined to go to Jerusalem to die there. Verse 52. And sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans, to make ready for him. So as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, he decides to stop in Samaria on his way to Jerusalem, and he sends messengers before his face, before him, to enter into the village of Samaria. Why are they there? Last part of verse 62, to make ready for him. So he sends some staff guys down first to you know, get a hotel and get, get things situated because he's, he's coming with the disciples. He's got this group. They're going to stop in Samaria. Look at verse 53. And they, the Samaritans, did not receive him. Why? Why did they not receive him? Here's why. Because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. You say, well, what? I don't understand what's going on here. And I'm going to take a little bit of time to explain this because this is going to set us up for tonight as we continue and finish up Luke 9. So I, wa I want you to understand this. Go to John chapter 4, if you would. John chapter 4, just real quickly. We'll be done in, 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 in 5, 8, eight, eight 18 minutes, and I'm saying... <laughs> John 4. We'll be done soon, right? You just move quickly. John 4, 9. Jesus, the, the Samaritans reject him because of the fact that, they, that he would go to Jerusalem. Now, just to give you a little bit of back, background information, there is bad blood between the Samaritans and the Jews. John 4, 9. Remember the famous story of, of the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria? John 4, 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria, this is the woman at the well speaking to Jesus, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, because Jesus walks up to this woman and says, Give me some water from the well. So she responds, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Okay, so the Jews and the Samaritans, they, they don't like each other. All right? Look at, and one of, one of the major contentions of, of their of, of why they don't like each other is because of their religion. And I don't have time to get into this, but let me just quickly try to explain this for those of you that, that like this type of stuff, all right? The Samaritans are the half-breeds. If you remember when the nation of Israel was divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom was, uh, was taken over by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom ended up being taken over by the Babylonians. The Babylonians, the way that they took over is that they took the people out of Judah and took them into Babylon and different things. What the Assyrians did is they brought their people into the land and they occupied the land and they mixed themselves in with the, the people of the northern tribes. So the people of the northern tribes ended up being mixed with, this, uh, with the Assyrians. And so the, the Jews of the southern kingdom of Israel ended up looking at them as half-breeds, half-Jews, and they did not like them. All the way back to the book of Nehemiah. If you, if you read, I was just reading Nehemiah this week. And if you read the book of Nehemiah, you'll see that the, those that are from Assyria that are living in the northern kingdom, they come to Nehemiah and say, hey, we want to help you build the wall and we want to help with, with the things you're doing. They tell Nehemiah and Ezra. And Nehemiah and Ezra reject them because of the fact that they don't have a lineage that goes back because they were mixed. So there was bad blood between these Samaritans, even all the way back to Ezra and Nehemiah. 
And these people, they worshiped the Lord, but they kind of got stuck on the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they pretty much rejected everything that comes after the, what's known as the law or the Pentateuch. Now, the reason I'm explaining all this is because the first five books of the Bible do not mention Jerusalem. Jerusalem did not become the capital city of the nation of Israel until the King David. So as a result, these Samaritans who, who say they worship Jehovah, they reject Jerusalem as a capital city or as a, as a place of worship where the temple was. Because the first five books of the Bible do not mention Jerusalem because that happened after David. I realize I'm, I'm giving you probably more information than you need. But that's the context that you read John 4.20 when the woman at the well says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Because she's, she's saying, we don't believe in the southern kingdom of Israel. Going, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say, this is the woman saying to Jesus, that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. That is the difference one of the major issues between the Samaritans and the Jews of the southern kingdom is that the Samaritans rejected Jerusalem as a place of worship because they really only take the first five books of the Bible, which don't uh, mention uh, Jerusalem at all, but they do mention two mountains in northern Israel, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And again, I realize I'm going too far into this, but some of you who actually read your Bibles know what I'm talking about and you, you like this. All right, go back to Luke 9. They reject Jerusalem. So what happens is when Jesus shows up, his disciples, they're like, hey, we need to stay in Samaria. And they're like, great, how long are you staying? And they say, just a night or two because we're on our way to Jerusalem. Well, those are like fighting words to the Samaritans because they reject Jerusalem as a place of worship. Remember the woman at the well? Our fathers worship in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. So, as a result, Luke 9.53, they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. So they said, Jesus, if you're on your way to Jerusalem, then you can't stay here. You know, we're against Jerusalem, and if you're on your way to Jerusalem, we can't stay here. Okay, that's the context. Let me just give you some thought. That's the context to the argument we're about to get into. And also, tonight, when we finish Luke 9, there's three conversations that happen. One of the conversations is where Jesus tells somebody, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Literally, he's saying that because of the fact that he's like, I don't have, we were going to stay at Motel 6 in Samaria and they canceled my reservation. You know, I don't have anywhere to stay tonight. Okay, so for those of you that come back tonight, that's the context. We'll get into that tonight. Luke 9.54. Jesus trying to say Samaria. Samaritans reject Jerusalem. So... When they find out that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, they reject Jesus. They did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem, Luke 9.53. Notice Luke 9.54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? Now, I don't have time to go into this. You can jot this down for your own reference. 2 Kings 1, verses, chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. There's a story of Elijah who Ahab is bringing uh, these soldiers, these groups of 50, to arrest him. They said, Thou man of God, come with us. Elijah says, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven. And fire came down from heaven and burnt them up. And then Ahab sends another group of 50. They said the same thing. If thou, thou man of God, come with us. He says, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven. Fire comes down from heaven and burns them. Then the third group, you know, the guy got a little smart and he says, Please don't burn us up, you know. Uh, you know, have mercy on us and whatever. That's the story that's being referenced here, okay? Elijah's literally having enemies come to kill him, and God protects him by sending fire down. And John and James are equating the fact that they had their reservations canceled to that story. And they're saying, the Bible says in verse 4, and when his disciples, John, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire and come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? Verse 55, and he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. He said, For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. See, what happened here? The Samaritans are not believed. They rejected Jesus. And look, let me tell you something. From time to time, unbelievers are going to reject us. But please understand something. Unbelievers are not our enemies. We're not at war with unbelievers. 
In fact, the Bible literally says that, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, there are reprobates who we want nothing to do with. I understand that. But just the average, look, if you're a soul winner and you're just out there, you're just arguing with every unsaved person, screaming and yelling, you know, and, and, and there's something, you, you, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. Unsaved people are not our enemies. We, we love them. We want to get them saved. And look, arguing with unsaved people about deep doctrinal issues is a waste of time. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. You say, what should we be talking to unbelievers about? Salvation. Amen. Period. End of story. And, and when they don't get it, look, we've literally had, you know, we, we, we had some major protests. I preached a sermon and it went viral or whatever a few uh, years ago. And we had, we had, um, we, were, we were doing the first Red Hot Preaching Conference just a month later. And we had all these, I mean, we had, we had all these preachers coming. We had hotels reserved for them. We had rental vehicles reserved for them. We had, um, my wife was going to do a couple of weeks after the, Red Hop, the first Red Hot Preaching Conference, she was going to do a soul winning, uh, not a soul winning seminar, good night, a homeschool seminar. I do the soul winning seminar. She was going to do a, a homeschool seminar for ladies. We had this reservation at a hotel, uh, at, at a restaurant where we had this big room all set. We had all these things. And when and we went viral, all these places canceled our reservations. And literally, they canceled our reservations, like, as preachers are coming in, they're literally flying in, and we're supposed to be meeting them with these rental cars, and the, the rental place is like saying, no, we canceled your reservation, you know. And that was a really stressful time. Brother Stucky was working for me at the time, and I told Brother Stucky, you need to go find rent, you just rent whatever. And I remember, I, I remember we had the Red Hot Preaching Conference, and he, and, he, and he comes in with this black Suburban with these, like, ghetto spinner wheels. <laughs> And he's just like driving in, and I'm like, he's like, it's all they had available. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, whatever. And, and you know, so look, I, be, I, I understand the disciples. It's frustrating when people just cancel your, your, your stuff. That's one of the reasons that the conference people often ask me, like, why don't we just rent another facility that's bigger? And it's like, because it's frustrating to have people just cancel you last minute, you know, and, and, it, and, and it upsets you. But here's the thing, you know, don't pray that God sends fire down to destroy them. I remember this one restaurant that canceled us. I, I swore in my wrath, like, we will never do business there again, you know. And we haven't, but, you know, I've ate there, okay, uh, since then. You know, you just, gotta, you, just gotta, you, just, you just have to realize unsaved people are unsaved people. We, don't, we shouldn't have this idea, you know, let me call fire down. Well, thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did. Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So we see these stories. They all have the same theme. Disciples fighting amongst themselves with fellow believers because of the product of pride. Jesus gives them the example of humility, a child, and he gives them the secret to greatness, how we treat others. Then we see the disciples fighting with other believers because it's human nature to take this attitude that we're the only good ones and want to exclude everyone that's not in our camp. But you know what? We need to realize that there are other good guys out there. And even if the other good guys are motivated by trying to hurt us, we have to rejoice when the gospel is being preached. And number three, the disciples are fighting with unbelievers. Because the rejection of the Samaritans, the disciples decide to take revenge on the Samaritans. But Jesus teaches us that the unbelievers who reject us, they are not our enemies. We're not here to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Let me just finish this morning by saying this. You know, you don't have to turn that. We, we, I'm already out of time, but let, let, me just, just, let me just read this verse to you. You don't have to turn here. Genesis 16, 12. This is a verse about, um, uh, about contention. The Bible says, and he will be a wild man. This is just a phrase I want to highlight for you. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. And, you know, we need to be careful in our lives that we are not, this is a verse describing Ishmael, that we're not like Ishmael, who we be described as, as our hand is against every man and every man's hand against us. You know, if you're fighting with everyone, if you're, just, you're, you're fighting with your wife, you're fighting with your husband, you're fighting with fellow church members, you're fighting with co-workers, you're, you're just fighting you, your neighbors, just fight. Look, if, 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 if there's contention everywhere, obviously there's going to be contention from time to time in any relationship. But if you're just fighting with everybody, just realize the common denominator is you and you're the problem. Don't be this person who's just, your hand is against every man and every man's hand is against you. 
you know, we ought to check our hearts. And my, my wife and I, one of, the red, one of the things we've learned over the last 12 years of ministry is that one of the red flags that people are, are, are not doing well spiritually is that they have this just disgruntled attitude with everyone. They're just not happy with anyone. They show up to church, they're just disgruntled. Everything's bad, everything's not good. Oh, everybody's kids are bad, everybody's marriage is bad. Every, you know, be careful about being that person. If you find yourself getting into this mode where you're just, you're fighting with fellow believers, you're fighting with other believers, you're fighting with unbelievers, you're fighting with everyone, just, you know, your hand is against everyone, every hand is against you, hey, check your heart. There's probably something wrong in your heart that you need to get right. Because we should not be contentious. We should earnestly contend for the faith. But we should not be contentious people. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these stories and, and the things that you are teaching us through this. Lord, I realize from time to time we're all going to have um, issues and contentions and fights. Marriages are going to fight. Families are going to fight. It, it's, it's inevitable. and We understand that. But help us not to be these people that are just fighting with everyone. Just in every situation, every fellow believers, other believers, unbelievers, just Lord, help us to be people that seek peace. Let us be like Jesus taught, peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Help us, Lord, to be those types of people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.